morning I want to turn to Luke chapter 19. Just read a few verses here, reading from verse 1. Then Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. Now behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, who was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. And he sought to see who Jesus was, but he could not because of the crowd, for he was of short stature. And so he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him. And so he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was going to pass by that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must stay at your house. And so he made haste and came down and met him joyfully. But when they saw it, they, were all, they all complained, saying, He has gone to be a guest with a man who is a sinner. Then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor, and if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Now over the years I have had many, many invitations. Invitations to birthday parties, to wedding parties, invitations to birthdays, invitations to all kinds of lunches and breakfasts and dinners, to civic functions, sometimes uh, as a special uh, convention, sometimes maybe a conference, things perhaps I was asked to speak at, and some I was able to attend, and some I couldn't attend. Some I did attend, and after I attended, I wish I hadn't attended, and some of them were such a blessing, it was just tremendous. Now, the Bible has lots of invitations. Invitations where God is saying to you and saying to me, come. Simple invitations to come. But actually, some of them are very challenging, and some are tremendously comforting. And so we're going to look at a couple of these invitations this morning together in the Word of God. Uh, this story here of Zacchaeus is a wonderful story. And it is one where Christ gives him an invitation. And so you have to understand that uh, him being a tax collector, he, he was despised in his community. As far as his community was concerned, he was a traitor, a traitor to the people. He was the one who had been taking their money and giving it to the Roman occupying forces. And before he would do that, he would skim some of the top and he was making himself rich. And Zacchaeus was a very rich man. And so he would be despised. In fact, probably his own family would disown him. Certainly, if you'd be walking down the street and he was coming, you would go on the other side of the street, if you were a Jew, that is. And so he is despised. He's a tax collector. He's hated. But, but... There's something stirring in his heart. He's heard much about Jesus of Nazareth. He's heard tales about how he healed men and women, how he made the lame to walk, and how he made the blind to see, and the deaf to hear, and the dumb to speak. And there was something about this prophet, this miracle-working prophet, that was making him very, very curious. But I believe it was more than just curiosity. There was something deep in his heart that was being attracted to the master. And so he heard that Jesus was coming through Jericho, which was his territory, and he wanted to see him. He wanted to see who he was. 
the scripture said that we read. He wanted to see who he was. He heard much about him, but what was he really like? And so being a man of short stature, vertically challenged, there's much crowds everywhere Jesus went. He was surrounded by crowds of people. And so he climbed up a sycamore tree and decided that he would just sit up there and hide himself among the foliage. Nobody would know he was there. Nobody would see him. And he could just see Jesus as he passed by. But do you remember how that when Jesus got to the sycamore tree, he stopped and he looked up and he said, Sikes. And I, I could imagine that the whole crowd would just go silent. You could hear a pin drop. And, and I could imagine that Sikes' heart was beating out of his chest because here's a prophet. And he knows where he is and hiding. But you can't hide from God, friend. And so when he heard his name, his heart must have been beating very fast. But then Jesus says, Zacchaeus, make haste, come down today. I want to abide at your house. And I can imagine at that moment the relief that must have came to Zacchaeus. He must have said, what a relief because he's not going to expose me. You know, he could have called me a dirty, rotten sinner. He could have called me a cheat. He could have called me a traitor. But he said none of those things. He said, Zacchaeus, make haste, come down. Today, I want to abide at your house. You know, if we really want to know who Jesus is, then we have got to come down. We've got to come down from our high opinions of ourselves and humble ourselves. We've got to come down from our self-righteousness and come down. We've got to humble ourselves. If we're ever going to know who Jesus is, we've got to come down. We've got to stoop low. We've got to come at his feet. And so he, he came down, and it tells us there in Luke chapter 19, in verse 6, so he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. But when they saw it, they were complaining, saying, he has gone to be a guest with a man who is a sinner. All they could see was a sinner. All they could see was somebody who was an object of their scorn. But Jesus saw a man, a human being, for whom he was going to die for. He saw a man that was seeking he saw a man even though he was hiding up a tree, but in his heart he was searching and he was seeking. He had a problem with his stature. He had a problem with his height. But he had a problem in his heart. And he was looking for an answer. And so Jesus, when he came down, Zacchaeus said to Jesus in verse 8, Then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor, and if I've taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold. And so here, I believe, is true repentance. Here's a real change of heart. Not only did this man repent, but he made restitution. He said, whatever I have cheated people out of, whatever I have conned men out of, I'm going to restore fourfold. And I'm going to give half of all I have to the poor. So this was a, a wonderful sign of repentance because he had humbled himself. And if we're ever going to come to know Christ, then that's what we've got to do.
We've got to repent. We've got to humble ourselves. We've got to come down. You know, self-righteous people, the hardest people to win to Christ because they already think they're good enough. In fact, they think they're probably better than most people. And yet they don't realize that all of us are just sinners that need to save by his grace. And so he comes down and Jesus absolutely radically changes this man's life. Can you imagine him going home with this great sinner? Now, can you imagine Zacchaeus inviting all of his friends to meet this great prophet? What an opportunity for Jesus to share the life and the light of God into their lives. And so here's the first invitation to come down. And maybe today, if you're an unbeliever, maybe today is the day when you need to come down and come to Christ. All of us need humility. All of us need to humble ourselves for really going to know Christ because he was the master at humility. He was the one who washed his disciples' feet. He was the one who donned that apron of the servant. So if we really want to know him, then we've got to humble ourselves before him. And so the first invitation is simply to come down. The second invitation is found in Matthew, verse, Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 to 30. Jesus says, Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Here is a wonderful invitation to find true rest. There is a restlessness in the heart of every human being. There's a thirst that's not being quenched. There's a hunger that's not being satisfied. You know, there's a load, there's a burden that's not being lightened. And Jesus here in Matthew 11 invites you, me, all men to come to him and find true rest. This is a wonderful invitation. Only Christ himself can calm the heart. Only Jesus can fill the hungry soul. Only Jesus can quench that inner thirst. Only Christ can truly lift the burdens of life. And so, all you who labor. And the word means here the, the most wearisome, tiring, exhausting labor. Now, it's not actually necessarily talking about physical labor, about spiritual labor, about emotional labor, about mental labor, where we're tired, where what we're doing we find exhausting. You know, sometimes in life it is tiring, isn't it? Sometimes we're exhausted. You know, we're looking for answers. We're trying to find a better way and we're trying to do things and, and there's that much to be done. And sometimes you think you're beating your head against a wall and sometimes you're just tired. It's not that you don't love God. It's not that you're fell out with the Lord. It's just that you're tired. So Jesus said, when you're laboring, he says, come to me and I will give you rest. Believer today, are you laboring are you tired? Are you weary? Come to Christ afresh. Come to him and rest a while. Come and sit in his presence. Get out your Bible. Start to worship him. 
or just actually just sit in his presence and rest a while. But it's because he wants to refresh us and he wants to bless us. Those of you who labor under heavy laden, now this is a military term. When soldiers would go on maneuvers or they'd go off to war or perhaps they'd maybe only be going to the next town or maybe they'd be going 200 miles away. Depending how far they were going, how long they were staying, depending which pack they used on their back. If it was just up the road, they would just maybe use a little pack. But if it was away, far away, if they're going for a long time, it would be a big, heavy pack. They'd have their bivouac, they'd have shovels, they'd have spades, they'd have utensils, that everything they would need for maybe weeks or months. And it was heavy to carry. And sometimes the weights we carry are heavy. Sometimes if we're carrying it for a long time, it seems just to get heavier and heavier. And Jesus said, if you're heavy laden, if you're weighed down, he says, please come to me and rest. It means to be refreshed, to pause, to wait a while, just, just to, to come into his presence. You know, Jesus carried lots of loads, didn't he? He had lots of burdens to carry. He had a whole world to win. So what did he do when he was burdened, when he was tired, because he got tired? What did he do? He took time out, didn't he? He paused. He hit the pause button and he had got the mountain to pray. Or he'd go into the desert and pray. Or he'd go into the garden and he would pray. He took those moments just to be alone with his father. Away from people, away from the maddening crowd as it were, although he loved them. Away from his disciples, although he dearly loved them, but just to be alone. And sometimes we need just to be alone, just to take time out. Maybe just to go into another room or go a walk or somewhere where it's just you and him. And you're praying and you're seeking the Lord or you're praising him. Or you're just in his presence and you're being at peace with him. He said, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. Is the Lord your current today? Is it easy? Is it light? Is it difficult? Is it heavy? If it's heavy and you're burdened, then that's the time when you really need just to come to the Lord and to be in his presence and be refreshed in your spirit and just have that few moments alone with the Lord. Switch the TV off, go into another room, whatever you're doing, just stop it and just relax and just be in his presence. And so he says, come unto me. I want you to come, he's saying. I'm asking you, I'm willing you to come unto me if you're burdened and heavy laden. And the promise is, if you do that, he says, I will give you rest because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I'll give you the strength to be able to carry the burdens that you have to carry in life. I'll give you the strength and the grace to be able to do it. And then in Matthew chapter 16, we see another invitation here as well. In Matthew 16, in verse 24, Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. 
For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father with his angels. Then he will reward each according to his works. If anyone desires to come after me. See, there's the choice. You know, when Jesus invited men to be his disciples, he did not plead with them. He did not beg them. He did not coerce them. He just said, come, come. I'll make you fishers of men, but come. That was all he said. And he will not beg and plead and coerce anybody today to follow him. If we're going to come after him, we'll just have to obey when he says, come. You remember one time he was preaching hot and heavy. He was preaching on commitment and real discipleship. And after he preached, a lot of people left. They no longer walked with him. They just walked off. They didn't want that kind of a life. What did Jesus do? Did he run after them? Did he beg and plead with them to stay? No. He turned around to his disciples and he said, would you also go away? Simple, isn't it? Would you also go away? He didn't say, now fellas, please stay. Look, I've lost so many. I need you to stay. I'm not going to make it if you don't stay. No, no, no. He says, he says, will you also go away? And so when he says, come after me, he wants you to know it's your choice. You've got to choose. Are you going to go after him? Aren't you glad for many of us, it was many years ago, whenever we chose to go after him. Aren't you glad you did that? Hasn't life been wonderful knowing Christ as our Savior? Knowing that our present is in his hands? Knowing that our future is secure in Christ? Isn't that wonderful? Aren't you glad that you came after him? And then he says also, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself. There's the cost. Sooner or later, if you come after Christ, sooner or later, when you become a follower of Jesus, you're going to find there's a cost. And that cost may be that, that some friend that you thought was a friend, actually, when you came to Christ, they left you. They didn't want to be around you anymore. They dropped you like a hot potato. Or it could be a family member who didn't like what you have done. And maybe turned against you. Or maybe the cost would be regarding your, your business. Maybe you had to change the way you did business. When you became a believer, maybe you couldn't do business the way you used to do it. So you had to change. And maybe there was a cost involved in that. Maybe there's a cost involved regarding your job. Maybe there's a cost involved regarding a relationship you have with somebody. Uh, you know, things changed, and not everybody liked the change, but you had to bear that cost. That was the cost that you had to bear. Now, actually, if you were a Muslim, or a Jew, or a Hindu, or a Buddhist, or a Jehovah's Witness, or Mormon, and you became a follower of Jesus, then you really would have a big cost. There really would be a price to pay 
In fact, your whole family may turn against you if that's the case. In fact, some may even want to kill you simply because you became a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. But here's the wonderful thing. It always pays more than it costs to be a follower of Jesus. Always. No matter how great the cost, it's always going to pay more. Not just in this life, but also in the next life, in eternity. Then such a reward will be yours. And so either time or eternity, you're going to find that it's going to pay to become a follower of Jesus. And if we think it costs to become a Christian, think how much more it cost him to make us a Christian. Think of the cost that he paid on that cross. Then anything we may have to pay peels into insignificance because Jesus paid the great price he gave his very life. And then it says, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. There's the cross. A man who has a cross on his back going up a hill, he has no agenda, he has no dreams to fulfill. All he's going to do is to go up that hill and die on that cross. He's going to sacrifice himself. He's going to die on that cross. So when Jesus talked about bearing a cross, he's actually talking about dying to self, dying to ourselves. All the things perhaps that we want to do, that we want to have, where we want to go. Would we be willing to die to that? To die to ourselves? You know, the Apostle Paul in Galatians 2.20 said, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul is saying here that the big I has been crucified, that the me has been put to death. You know, Paul had some pedigree. <laughs> you know, whenever Paul came to Christ, everything he was before that, and he tells us in Philippians chapter 3 a little bit about that, and everything he was and everything he had and the status he had, all of that, he said, I count that as nothing that I may win Christ. And so he says in Philippians chapter 3, let me just read this quickly for you from verse 3. And I have no, and have no confidence in the flesh, though I might have confidence in the flesh. If anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning righteousness, which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, these things I have counted loss for Christ. Indeed, I count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I might gain Christ. See, that's self-sacrifice. That's taking up your cross. That's bearing that cross. That's saying no to many things in your life. You know, you say, but David, 
Does God not want to have us to have our own dreams and our visions and goals and things we want to do and achieve? Does not want to? Yes, he does. In fact, he said he'd give you the desires of your heart. But, but, and there's a big but, but they have to be in line with his will. They have to be in line with what he wants for you. And what he wants for you is the best, only the best. So we must, whatever it may be, we must be willing to lay it down at his feet. Remember Abraham took his son Isaac up to Mount Moriah? Remember he was willing to lay down his very son's life in order to obey God? See, that's, in our sense, taking up the cross. For whoever desires to save his life shall lose it. There's a contradiction. It sounds like a contradiction, doesn't it? Whoever desires to save his life shall lose it. The world thinks, spare your life and you'll save it. Jesus said, save yourself and you'll lose yourself. It's the total opposite. And that's the thing about the kingdom of God. It's a, it's a different kingdom. It's got different laws. It's got different rules. It's counterintuitive to the way we normally live. You know, you have to die to live, except the corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it bides alone. But if it dies, it brings forth much fruit. You have to give in order to receive. All this sounds contradictory, but actually it's the truth. It's right. And if we do that, whoever desires to save his life shall lose it. And so we want to give our lives. We don't want to spare ourselves. We want to give ourselves to God's kingdom. We want to give ourselves to Christ. We want to say, Lord, whatever way you want to use us in your kingdom, whatever you want to do with me, whatever future you have got planned for me, Lord, that's what I want. Yes, I know there's things that I dream about and would like to have, and maybe, Lord, you want me to have that, and if that's the case, then I'll get it. But there's maybe things that I'll have to lay down. There's maybe things you'll say, uh-uh, it's good, but it's not for you. The Lord may say, yes, that's good for somebody else, but I don't want you to have that because that will take away from my plan for your life. And so let's make sure that everything we do is for his glory and to honor him and that we're willing to make that sacrifice if necessary. And then he says, for whoever loses his life for my sake, shall find it. There's the crown. There's the compensation. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean literally lose your life. Although many have literally lost their life as martyrs for the Lord Jesus. Even today in our generation, there's probably more martyrs today than there's ever been in the history of the church. People willing to lay down their lives. But that doesn't necessarily mean that. It's willing to lay down everything in front of him. Everything we want to be, everything we have, to lay it down at him and sacrifice it if necessary. For whoever loses his life for my sake shall find it. You know, there's, I can think of lots of people who have given up everything, everything to serve the Lord. Things didn't become important to them anymore. They just wanted to give their life to Christ in his service. You know, just a few weeks ago, an old friend, Bob McAllister, a great missionary, him and his wife Alma, who served 40 years in the Congo. And he just died, he's in his mid-90s when he died, just literally a few weeks ago. What a great servant of God. Both of them were sold out to God 
and both of them served for 40 years in Africa. Wonderful testimony. And he told me one time, he says, you know, David, and this is, he says, this is not a criticism. This is an observation I'm making. He said, over the years, he says, I lost count of the missionaries on the field who went home in order for their children to get a good education. It's his biggest mistake most of them made. He says, because they went home and their children often, he says, were lost to Christ and they never come back to the mission field. He says, we decided from day one that we would keep our kids on the mission field and that they would be trained there. They would be educated there. And do you know what? His three kids, of course, they're all adults now, two sons and a daughter, all of them are serving the Lord. All of them are highly educated. All of them love it. In fact, the two boys are actually serving in Africa. And their daughter is in America doing a wonderful work, her and her husband. You see, so it seemed like he sacrificed everything. It seemed like he laid down his life. It seemed like he was losing everything by doing that. That's how the world thinks. But actually, he gained everything. And not only is his sons and his daughters serving the Lord, but their grandchildren are serving the Lord also. He told me one time that whenever it came time for them to come off the field because of their age and different things, and he said that we, we knew we were coming back. We didn't know what we were coming back to. We had no house. We had no furniture. We had nothing. And he says, Alma, his wife, he said, would have give her last penny away to anybody. She really didn't hold the things. But he says, you know, I was trying to be practical. And I said, look, I, I made the decision. He said, look, he said, when we go home, he says, we need something. We've got to live. And so over the years in Africa, he says, we had, we had gathered up furniture and bits and pieces. And I decided, well, we'll put that in a container. We'll ship it home because at least then we get a house. We'll have something to start with. But he says, I knew that Alma wasn't happy about it. And he says, just a few days before we were due to do that, she overruled me. <laughs> he said, it was the best thing she ever did. She gave the whole lot away. Everything, every stick of furniture that had, she gave the lot away. She says, now we'll just trust God. He says, you know, when we come home, he says, we got a home, we got a house. In fact, he says, we had so much stuff given to us again and again and again, we hardly knew where to put it. You see, it seemed to be that they were losing, that they had lost their life in service. But in the end, they found their lives and they found it again in serving the Lord. For whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. And here's the last. You notice I'm alliterating this morning. Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? What does it profit a man if they gain the whole world? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? There's the clincher. There's the clincher. There's the determining factor. There's the clincher today. What shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world? Do you ever imagine what that would be? You know, the two most profitable companies on the face of the earth today are Apple and Amazon. And they have an incredible amount of money. In fact, each of them has more money than the economy of all of Singapore. Each of them has more money than the 32 richest banks in the Eurozone. I mean, they're awash with it. And in fact, they have, Apple has more cash reserves 
than the Federal Gold Reserves in New York. Apple has more than that. And in fact, not only that, but the money that it takes in cash for the American government to service their civil servants and their government offices and their government departments all over the states, the amount it takes them is something like roughly 80 to 100 billion dollars. And yet Apple alone has 207 billion dollars in cash. But that's not the whole world, is it? It's not the whole world. And in fact, if you had all the tea in India, if you had all the diamonds and gold in Africa, if you had all the oil in the Middle East and you put it all together, it would not be the whole world. Right now, America is the biggest debtor nation on earth. Right now, America owes $25 trillion, to put that into perspective. If you would go back to the day that Jesus was born over 2,000 years ago, and if you were to spend $1 million a day from that day Jesus was born to right today, you wouldn't have reached a trillion yet. And yet America owes 25 trillion, 25 times that, and that's not the whole world. Why am I saying this? To show you the value that God has put upon your eternal soul. To show you how much God loves you, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. There was nothing else on earth, there was nothing in the universe, there was nothing else in heaven even that could pay for your eternal soul. That's how much God loves you today. And so let me encourage you, if you don't know Christ today, if you have never come after him, if you have never come down to him, if you've never begun to follow him, let me encourage you to do that today because he loves you so much that he gave his one and only son to pay the price to save your eternal soul. So why don't you give your life to Jesus today? And believers, let us come after him and let us come on to him and let us give our lives to him completely and utterly and serve him the rest of our days, however long that may be we have, let's joyfully serve him the rest of our life. And what a blessing that will be, not only for us and our families, but for the nation that we live in. If every believer would serve God to their fullest, what a difference that would make to everyone around. And so God bless you. I want to pray for you as we get ready to worship again. I'm going to pray for God just to bless you in a special way today. Lord God, I thank you. I thank you for every member of this church. I thank you for every friend who walks through the door. I thank you for every visitor that comes. And I pray that you will bless them. For everyone who's watching this video today, I pray that you will bless them. Lord, that you'll touch their lives with your goodness and your grace. I thank you that you love us with an everlasting love. We thank you, Lord, that you have made us your own special people. Thank you for that awesome price that had to be paid, your son for us, his innocent life for our guilty life. So I give you thanks this morning for all of your goodness and all of your grace towards us. In Jesus' name, amen.